That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Harvard here with you broadcasting live from Shelter in Place, my home office in Portland. And where I want to start is with Carson Lee Davis. She died two days after her 17th birthday on June 23rd, just, you know, a week or so ago. This is a young woman who survived cancer at the age of two. She survived a rare nervous system disorder at the age of five. She was immune compromised. Her mother has a Facebook page, which is awash in QAnon conspiracy stories and misinformation about the coronavirus. All this stuff coming out of the right-wing fever swamp. And her church had an event that she was taken to on June 10th that, quoting one of her uh, friends or neighbors as a COVID party, her pastor has walked that back and said, no, it wasn't a COVID party, it was just a party. His name is David Thomas. It's the First Assembly of God Church. This is down in Florida. And Thomas told the station, this is uh, in an interview with WBBH-TV, that the teens were not practicing social distancing, but that it was their decision if they wanted to. Right. Yeah, teenagers just love that social distancing thing, especially when their parents are cult members. Her mom, oddly enough, was a nurse. Her dad was a physician's assistant, Carson Davis, Carson Lee Davis. But what happened was, after the party, she got sick. And her mom, while she was still at home, gave her a large dose of azithromycin, the antibiotic, which doesn't do anything at all for coronavirus and maybe even makes things worse because now the body's dealing with the side effects of a powerful antibiotic at the same time as trying to fight off a virus. And then uh, on June 19th, Uh, because her mother said her daughter looked gray, she gave her an unspecified dose of hydroxychloroquine, Donald Trump's magic malaria cure for COVID. Yeah, I told you, this woman's got weird stuff all over her Facebook page. 
Carson got so sick that they took her to the hospital and the hospital wanted to intubate her and they said, no, you can't do that. And eventually she got so sick that she was like on the edge of dying. And so it was like, okay, you can intubate her. But at that point, quoting from the story, this is uh, a piece published over at Raw Story by Travis Geddes. Carson was eventually intubated, but the medical examiner's report found her cardiorespiratory system was already too seriously damaged, and she died on June 22nd. So the question I put to you is, who's responsible for this girl's death? Who should we hold responsible for her death? Is it her mom and dad, the conspiracy theorists? who uh, had filled a Facebook page with, you know, uh, hydroxychloroquine and COVID BS? Is it Mark Zuckerberg who allowed such crap on Facebook? Is it Donald Trump who was promoting this stuff? Is it Charles Koch and his billionaire buddies who fund... Freedom Works, which has been at the forefront of suggesting that we need to open the country back up again right now. And thus indirectly feeding this stuff. I mean, it kind of goes back to the Jim Jones thing, right? Was Jim Jones responsible for the death of all those children and their parents down in Guyana? Or were the, did the parents hold some responsibility for following a sociopath and believing his BS? Was the United States government in some way responsible for the Jim Jones debacle? You know, it, it took a while before finally a couple of members of Congress went down and did something about this. It's not like there weren't families yelling and screaming about it for months, saying this is not good and well. So who is responsible for Carson Lee Davis's death? And if we could define responsibility, is it, you know, is it her pastor who held a party at his church? Maybe he didn't know the danger of this virus. Maybe he didn't know that this virus kills teenagers. Maybe he didn't know that it, even when it doesn't kill young people, it can leave them with lifelong scarring of their lungs, their livers, their kidneys, their hearts, their brains. It can produce strokes. It can leave them incapacitated. It can leave them with lifelong dementia. Maybe the pastor just didn't know this because he watches Fox News and Fox News doesn't talk about that. Or do they? I don't watch Fox News enough to know whether they absolutely do or not, but, I mean, is it possible? So is it Rupert Murdoch who's responsible for this? I mean, it's certainly been the hosts over on Fox so-called news who have been most aggressively promoting the whole, oh, it's a hoax thing. Although, again, you could argue, well, they're only promoting that because that's Donald Trump's shtick. And they say whatever Trump says. But then there are people in the Trump White House who will tell you, and there have been a few books about this, that a lot of these things are not Trump's ideas that then appear on Fox News, that the chain of causation moves in the other direction. That Tucker Carlson goes on Fox News and says, you know, Tammy Duckworth, who lost both legs in Iraq, isn't actually a patriot. She actually hates America. And, you know, if some 
some fool decides, okay, she hates America, let's take her out. Is Tucker Carlson responsible for that? I mean, you know, we tend not to hold people responsible for their speech, even when their speech leads to people dying. In this case, somebody's speech led to this little girl dying. Little girl, 17-year-old. This young, young woman. Or was it nobody's speech? Should her pastor have known? Well, and again, if he didn't, why not? Was it the failure of the local newspaper to inform, and the local TV station, which are now no doubt not locally owned, but owned by some big chain someplace that may, you know, may have a kind of a pro-Trump slant and just not talk so much about these kind of things. Is it her own fault as a 17-year-old or as a 16-year-old at the time she was exposed? Should she have known better? Who's responsible for Carson Lee Davis's death? How do we assign that responsibility? How do we follow through on it? Should somebody go to jail? Should there be a fine? Should there be, should, should it be the death penalty? I think you know I'm not a fan of the death penalty, but who do you think was responsible for this little girl's death? This is the Tom Hartman Program. I mean, I've given you a whole bunch of different options. I'm sure there are some that I'm missing. Well, I'll tell you on the other side of the break here. Hey, we have a new video up over at TomHartman.com. It's about Steve Wilson and Jane Aker who were guests on this program back in the uh, early 2000s, a couple of reporters for a Fox television station down in Florida who put together an investigative report on bovine growth hormone that Monsanto tried to squash. The Fox station told them that they had to actually lie on the air, saying that there was no, no health risks associated with GBH, what's now called RGBH. They refused to lie. They got fired. They appealed they went to court, they won a judgment against the Fox station, and then the Fox station appealed that, and the appeals court said, no, it's okay for a TV station to order their reporters to lie on the air. And that's been the law ever since, so it's 2002, 2003. And you combine that with the Telecommunications Act of 96, and we have an insane media landscape. Check it out at TomHartman.com. Dave in Lombard, Illinois. Hey, Dave, what's up? Uh, Good morning, Tom. Thanks for uh, taking my call. To add to this story about this cult-like following for the death of this young girl in Miami, there is a GoFundMe page for $55,000 to raise for the celebration of the life of this person, and they're already about a third of the way there. Where's that money going to go? Somebody's going to throw a party? it says it's just going to go to the to celebrate the life of Carson Davis. It doesn't say where it's going to go, and they're already close to twenty thousand dollars fund uh, raised already. Whoa! Is it is it being put on by her parents, or is it just some no, grifter who said, friend. "You know, I'm going to use her name to raise money"? No, apparently it's a friend of the family. Oh, that's incredible! I am seeing so many of these scams. I mean, it's incredible. It's like the entire right-wing meme machine has become this giant vacuum cleaner sucking up money. 
And so I suppose in a way I'm not surprised, but this is, oh God, this is, uh, <laughs> this is bizarre. Maybe we should start a, uh, a Facebook page uh, to commemorate the memory of uh, Donald Trump's brain. Or I, I, no, is anyway. Okay, Dave, thank you. Thanks for the heads up on that. That's, sure that's bizarre. Appreciate it. Annie in uh, Bloomington, California. Am I saying your name right? Well, it's Annie. <laughs> but Annie. Close hey, enough. Annie, what's up? Yes. Yes, thank you, Tom. My son is working for the, the state of Arizona in the inspections department, inspecting group homes. These are not the nursing homes, but they are the people who need to be in group homes. And he has not been given anything other than a surgical mask to go into these places where he has to spend an hour and a half to inspect for safety and health issues in these group homes. They finally agreed to give him an N95, but he was scheduled, he is scheduled to go into a home where there's been one death and one hospitalization and the uh, the people are symptomatic now in this group home. And he's being, his job is being threatened because he's refusing to go inside without proper protections. And they're refusing to give him the protections that they need in Arizona. This is happening for the nurses that go in also are not given complete protection. The incidence of COVID-19 being positive in these group homes is over 1,200 in these group homes. And the state of Arizona is in complete denial. Wow. Wow. So, what, what, Ani, what, what options does he have? He's actually gotten a, an attorney to represent him so that he can sue them if they, he's a whistleblower. And, yeah. um, and well, he's a good place to start. If, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's cost him, it's put him in huge debt, which he doesn't have the money for. But, oh, you know. Ani, I got to run. Thank you. Hey, we're putting together a series of American history books. It started with a hidden history of guns in the Second Amendment. Then we had the hidden history of the Supreme Court, the betrayal of America. Then the hidden history of the Republican war on voting. Coming out soon is the hidden history of monopolies, how big business destroyed the American dream. And then next spring, it's gonna be the hidden history of oligarchy and tyranny. Amazing. So I haven't verified this yet, but somebody called just a moment ago and said that uh, there's also a GoFundMe page trying to raise 55 grand and they're already up to 20 to have a party in this young woman's memory. Now, maybe it's legitimate. Maybe her family really wants to have a party. I don't know. Or maybe it's just some guy who wants to have a party and says, hey, let's, uh," you know, it's really. I think this is just bizarre. There's a second topic that I wanted, I just wanted to toss in here. You can catch my, uh, my rant about this, by the way, over at buzzflash.com. England is debating a wealth tax right now. There's a piece about it in the Financial Times. And America, as tax revenues crash and the need for government services explodes, needs to consider one too. If you own a home every year, you must pay a wealth tax. 
The majority of the wealth held by middle and working class Americans is in their homes. And every year, every homeowner must pay a tax on their wealth in the form of a state and local property tax. Every year, all across America, average people dig deep to pay the one or two or three or five percent annual tax on the value of their home. Money that helps support local schools and fire departments. Over 65% of Americans are homeowners. So that same percentage of average Americans pays an annual wealth tax. And the 35% of us who don't, who rent, don't escape the wealth tax. The property taxes simply get added to our rent. So really, every working class American is paying a wealth tax, an annual wealth tax. So if average working Americans pay an annual wealth tax on the property of their homes, why don't billionaires pay an annual wealth tax on the contents of their money bins? Why is that? It's sort of like with Social Security. You know, we pay on our first $130,000 of income, we pay Social Security tax. But over that, billionaires don't pay a penny. The United Kingdom this week kicked off a major multi-level conversation about the need for and appropriateness of a wealth tax on rich people. Their government needs the money. Wealthy people have been accumulating piles of cash ever since the Reagan-Thatcher era in ways and at speeds that haven't been seen since the Roaring Twenties. And just the billionaires in America have made several hundred billion dollars just since the beginning of this pandemic five months ago. So America needs this conversation too. Why is it that average working people every year must pay an annual tax on their wealth, their home, when wealthier people whose savings are not in their home but instead are in their stock portfolios or their overseas bank accounts, why don't they have to do the same? It's a simple matter of fairness. America needs our rich people to pay a wealth tax just like the rest of us do every year. And given the crisis that COVID has thrown our local governments into because of low income tax collections, frankly, we need it now. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's up? You know, Tom, my thought is that the American people do not have the self-discipline and the resolve to solve our problems. The COVID problem, guns, racism, economic inequality, social justice. We just can't do it. We are like the, you know, the athlete who has a lot of promise, who just can't get it together, can't, can't kick the drugs, doesn't show up for practice, uh, it doesn't practice well, or, or the employee who has a lot of talent and a lot of brains, but, you know, keeps showing up uh, hungover, no show, no call type employee, and eventually you just got to let him go. Look, if 20 children and their teachers being shot in their school in 2014 didn't spur us to do something about guns, well, then 587 people can be shot in Las Vegas three years later. This coronavirus, we already had the conversation. If we don't shut this thing down, we're going to be exactly in this position. We've already talked about this, but we still can't get it together. We just can't. And this, and it's because of all the crap and the bad leadership, yeah, that there's, oh, it's going to go away. And, I, you know, Tom, I have a degree in, in biochemistry from Michigan State University, and I've never been able to see the reason for why they were saying that. Uh, I just never could, and I predicted this all. Why? Along. Who was saying what? For, that it would that the the warm weather it would go away, and there would be a oh. it would go away during the summer, and there would be, then there may be a second wave. I thought it's not going to go away during the summer. I have, I have, and I asked an epidemiologist, "What evidence do you have?" To I, I told him, "I am a biochemist. Yeah. That's one of my degrees in biochemistry." 
And I said, what? So, what Paul, as we're approaching a break here, let me let me just quickly toss in. It sounds to me like you're nominating another person for the guilt around the death of Carson Lee Davis, and that would be Ronald Reagan. During the Eisenhower and JFK and, and the uh, early years of the LBJ administration before the Vietnam War, 78% of Americans said that they trusted the government to do the right thing. Today, it's 17%. Reagan, in his inaugural address, said, government is not the solution to your problems, it is the cause. Do you think it's Reaganism that's responsible for her death? And our American memes, like uh, American exceptionalism and our patriotism, that's, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Well, I think we had American exceptionalism, you know, doing well. And Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tom Hartman University Book Club reading today from Screw, the Undeclared War Against the Middle Class and What We Can Do About It. This is from one of the last chapters, Chapter 13. It's titled Setting the Rules of the Game and the subchapter Gaming the System. If government can create conditions that cause a middle class to emerge by implementing fair rules for business, progressive taxation, free public education, the opposite is also true. Government can create a corporatocracy by deregulating business, by cutting taxes on extreme wealth, and by privatizing as much of the commons as possible. Conservatives call this starving the beast. Here's how you starve the beast. You put through tax cuts for the rich, which cuts back the revenues of the federal government to the point that if you got rid of all the social programs, you'd have a balanced budget. No more Social Security, no more spending for education, no more spending for Medicare and Medicaid. Let the government simply keep the armies, prisons, and police. Let's shrink government. That's their philosophy. When you cut all those social programs, you lose the middle class and its place, and in its place, create a very small, wealthy elite and a large underclass of starvation wage workers. You lose democracy and instead create corporatocracy. You change the rules of the game. We the people lose and the feudal lords win. Cons have been winning this particular game of Starve the Beast since Reagan first started seriously playing it in 1981. They've done it in large part by lying to the American people. And they've had to do that because if they told the truth, the majority of Americans would throw them out of office. This is, after all, still a democracy. If the majority of us agree to get rid of Social Security so that only the wealthy can have retirement benefits and the older left to fend for themselves, so be it. If a guy breaks his neck and can't work and the majority of us decide not to help people who are disabled and as a result he has to beg on the street, well, we can democratically decide to screw him and ourselves. But the conservatives are not having this debate in an open and honest fashion. They're not asking we the people if we want to get rid of, for example, the Head Start program. They could ask, do we want to invest in our youth or not? We know that if we invest in educating the very young, fewer of them will become criminals. It will save us money over the long term. But the majority of us say, no, we would rather pay $50,000 to imprison them later than pay $300 to put them in a head start. Now, if we said that, then that's fine. It's a democracy. But that's not the way the cons are doing it. Instead of explaining why it would be better for Americans to give all their money to the corporate elite, they're giving huge tax cuts to the rich while pretending that the tax cuts benefit all Americans. Instead of arguing that Americans should not expect the right to health care or security in their old age, they are promoting a government crisis by handing to the rich the money we're borrowing from China, Japan, and Korea in the name of our grandkids. They're borrowing so much money from these countries that if they so much as blink, our currency could crash. And that's just what the most ideological of the conservative elite want. They want an economic crisis because they figure that's the only way they can force a cut in spending on social programs. In 2004, they thought that they had starved the beast enough, and they sent Bush out on the campaign trail to advocate getting rid of Social Security, privatizing it, putting it in the hands of Wall Street. But it didn't work. Turns out we, the people, apparently like Social Security. So the cons went back to starving the beast. 
Bush instead passed a new series of tax cuts with more to follow. The cons are trying to play the game so that the rich benefit while the rest of us lose out. They get tax cuts, we get program cuts. That's not a free market. That's a market that's being created for the benefit of the rich at the expense of the middle class. The question Americans have faced since the first arguments between Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton in the 1780s was whether the game of business should be played with the primary goal of enriching the few or, while allowing the few to enrich themselves, enhancing the quality of the life of the many. The cons suggest that if the rich win first, benefits will trickle down to the rest of us. Protecting workers, they say, will produce abnormalities and dislocations from a so-called free market. For example, they suggest that when minimum wages are fixed by government and labor can lawfully bargain to increase wages by increasing scarcity of labor through union actions, the result is an increase in prices ultimately hurting the working person. But the economists they often cite in this thinking, David Ricardo, disagreed that raising wages first increased prices. He noted, quote, on the contrary, a rise of wages from the circumstance of the laborer being more liberally rewarded or from a difficulty of procuring the necessities on which wages are expended does not, except in some instances, produce the effect of raising price, but has a great effect in lowering profits, end of quote. In other words, all that talk about keeping wages down to keep prices down is a smokescreen. Business owners want to keep wages down to keep profits up. And when wages go down, profits do indeed go up. American wages have been falling steadily since Reagan first reintroduced conservative economics in 1980. And American corporations are generally more profitable than they've been in decades. In part, this is not only because wages are going down within the United States, but also because U.S. level wages are being replaced by India and China level wages through offshoring and outsourcing. But offshoring isn't a problem for American workers, the cons shout. It's the increase in productivity. American businesses need fewer workers because of automation. This is a tragic lie, and it's been bought hook, line, and sinker by most American politicians and even some economists. The book is screwed. Tom Harbin here with you and Marie in Tucson, Arizona. Hey, Marie, what's up? I wanted to uh, respond in regards to your previous caller, uh, the mom in Arizona. And yes, it's that bad. I've been in management in these group homes the last 17 years, and I actually quit my job last month just because of how things have gotten. The conditions, my staff were threatened of uh, corrective actions, write-ups and stuff, because we were actually bringing supplies from home. You know, bleach, gloves, wherever we could find, you know, masks and stuff. And she's right, the state of Arizona doesn't care. And this has been going on for years because my, you know, these staff I had were making maximum 50 cents over minimum wage, taking care of yeah. medically fragile, cognitive disabled folks. And, you know, the neglect in the state of Arizona has been going on, and now it's magnified. People's lives yeah. no, are I, at risk. I get it, Marie, but I really want to hear from people who want to discuss Carson, Carson Davis and, and, you know, what, who they think is responsible for this little girl's death. Sharon in Flushing, New York. Hey, Sharon, what's up? Yes, hi, Tom. I think her parents and the, is it a pastor, the elder of the church? Yes. Wait, yeah, uh, the pastor of the church, his name is uh, Pastor, uh, pastor David Thomas of the First Assembly of God Church. Yes, I think all those adults involved 
they're all responsible for the death of that child. She's a child. She's a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. And immune compromised at that. I mean, parents. Yeah. Now, I don't think that the parents would have been believing that there was no risk to this virus if you didn't have Donald Trump out there saying 99% of the time it's no big deal. Yeah, but he's an idiot. (laughs) They should have known that. As a nation. I mean, I just sit in disbelief. I I live in New York, and as as you already know, all most New Yorkers, we already knew his game. We we Mm. already knew his game. He's an idiot. He's incompetent. He's an imbecile. And if her parents can't see that, it's just like when I was growing up, and my parents would say, "Oh, if your friends jump off of a bridge, you're going to follow and jump off too." Like, right. you know. Right. Yeah. No, I remember that. We've already we've all been told that. No, I get it, Sharon. Okay, so you vote for the parents and the pastor. Okay, thank you, Andy in Wilmington, Delaware. Hey, Andy, who do you think is responsible? Yeah. Hi, Tom. To use a metaphor, the person whose finger is on the trigger is responsible. And that, what I mean by that is the parents. There is a universe of misinformation and good information out there. You make those decisions for your children, and you are responsible for those decisions. But the parents uh, drove this little girl to this church gathering, this coronavirus party, although, again, the pastor is disavowing that phrase. And he had organized it, apparently. David Thomas, this pastor, is he responsible? No. I mean, I hate what he did, and I hate what, right. what these QAnon people say, and I hate all that kind of crap. But ultimately, you are responsible for your kid. And if you love your child more than you love your doctrine or you love your dogma, then you'll get smart. But I don't hold these folks yeah. responsible. Yeah. I don't know what the uh, age of majority is in Florida. Um, She was 16 at the time. I'm assuming she was still legally a child. And I think that that's pretty much the case all over the country these these days. But thank you, Andy. Okay, your vote is registered. Alex in Edison, New Jersey, your thoughts. Hi, I put the squarely on Donald Trump for three reasons. Number one, the late and poor response to the coronavirus outbreak. You talked about that many times. Number two, Mm -hmm. the pseudoscience like he just says wrong things period but number three and this is probably the most insidious he tends to politicize the treatment it this is a national crisis it's not the time to talk about obama it's not the time to talk about nancy pelosi we get that you don't like them but there are times when you have to put that aside anyway that's my point yeah, so you think it's Trump. By the way, did you see that uh, the latest excerpt from Mary Trump's book, Donald paid somebody to take his SAT test? <laughs> it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's like, it just, you know, I mentioned, I think a year ago uh, or longer, that when I was in college, a friend of mine had a, a nice little business uh, at MSU selling term papers for people. And I wrote a few of them for him because, you know, he was paying 35 bucks a term paper and then charging 50. And... It's like I and I was saying, I'll bet Donald Trump was using a service like that. They finally made it illegal in East Lansing and the college started kicking people out and all that kind of stuff. But for a while there, it was a thing, you know, and I'm sure it was for Donald Trump, too. Alex, thank you. Kathy in Walport, Oregon. Hey, Kathy, your thoughts. Hi, Tom. 
I hold the parents responsible for the death of Carson Lee Davis. They're both health care professionals. They should both lose their licenses. In Oregon, nurses get their license from the state nursing board. Physicians' assistants get it from the state medical board. They administered medication to their daughter that no doubt was not prescribed for her by a physician in the right dose. the news the news article indicated that there was no evidence of or they couldn't they couldn't identify the source of either the zithromycin or the hydroxyquinolone or whatever it is right well, those hydroxychloroquine and nurses are responsible for the action of the medication that they administer also mm-hmm. in the end you know it's really disturbing that both of these healthcare professionals aren't using scientific thinking. So if they treat their daughter like that, how negligent are they in treating? Well, I got to tell you, Kathy, some of those videos, some of these uh, weird uh, science videos over on YouTube that say that this is, you know, a, a phony hoax, blah, 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 blah. They are they're put together in a way that sound really credible. I mean, some of them are just shockingly that, you know, the good documentary. But I get it. I get it. Thank you, Kathy, for your vote. Joyce in uh, Cape Coral, Florida. Hey, Joyce, your mind. What's hey, your right mind? here. Good. I'm right here or, uh, in this same county that she passed away in. Oh, really? Um, oh, my. And uh, I tell you, it, yes, I blame their parents. They have a heightened sense of awareness based on their medical background. But my bitterness is honestly towards Zuckerberg. The amount Facebook. of Facebook medical experts in my county, legal experts, getting all their knowledge from Facebook. I've had people stop me. I'm wearing a mask into Costco, you know, going into a store, and people are stopping me with screenshots of information because it says so on Facebook. I'm going to pass out Hmm. lack of oxygen because it says so on Facebook. You mean people, hang on just a second, Joyce. You're telling me that somebody has come up to you in a Costco with a screenshot of a meme on Facebook and told you that because you're wearing a mask, you're going to pass out from lack of oxygen because of the medical information they got from Mark Zuckerberg? Absolutely. My my lawn care service told me that he's never going to get corona. Again, screenshots, because he's out in the sun all day. And the UV oh rays God. protect him. Yeah. People yeah. make Florida for a reason. <laughs> well, you built, you built a good case against Facebook there, Joyce. Joyce, thank you for the thank call. You. And, uh, yeah, is it, by the way, is it a big story in your county? It, not as big as it should be. Yeah, okay. Thank you, yeah. Joyce. Thanks for the call. And thanks for listening to SiriusXM. We'll be right back. Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. 
Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Bite. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. So back in 2018, Bayer, the German pharmaceutical company, bought Monsanto, the American chemical and pesticide company, and, you know, God only knows what else, you know, seeds and whatnot. Anyhow, Bayer bought them for $63 billion. Bayer just very recently set aside $10 billion to cover the cost of consumers, people in their homes, who bought Roundup, and got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, cancer, from Roundup, this product that Monsanto makes that Bayer now is responsible for, $10 billion. The kicker is that the home use of Roundup only represents about 10% of Monsanto's sales of this product, glyphosate. It's amazing. There's a whole video about this over at TomHartman.com. You can check it out over there. Uh, welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Stephen in Palm Springs, California. Hey, Stephen. 
Hey, what how say you? Doing? you? Hey, uh, good. So if somebody walks if somebody walks into a crowded movie theater with a megaphone and falsely yells out fire, and people rush to the doors and trample each other over and die, guess who will be responsible? It's that person who falsely yells out fire using the megaphone. That's why correct. And that's why Tucker Carlson should be responsible not only for this young woman's death, but all these hundreds of thousands of other people who have died because they're not wearing, they've been exposed by people who aren't wearing masks because COVID's a hoax. They should be responsible right. just as much as that person hollering fire in a crowded movie theater. And just, well, I want to make a, yep. another observation. You know, so this morning I hear that Mary Trump and Donald Trump's sister referred to him as a clown. And although a clown, being a clown may be a term of endearment for Donald Trump, it's an insult to every God-fearing clown on the face of this planet. That's all I have to yeah, say. I agree. <laughs> okay, Stephen. Stephen, standing up for the clowns. I'm, yeah. I'm with you. Thank you. Uh, Mark in San Francisco. Hey, Mark, you think the Supreme Court's to blame? I do, because now we have the government, the best government money can buy. And if you look at the countries oh, good that point. care about their people, they're the ones that are dealing with this pandemic the best. Yeah, you're right. The countries that have that are basically run by rich people, that are run by oligarchs, those are the countries, you know, uh, Turkey, uh, Russia, the United States. You know, the list doesn't immediately come to mind, but those are the countries that are melting down, that are having, you know, a real crisis with this coronavirus. And the countries that are being run by people who, you know, for very mixed motives. I mean, you know, China is is keeping their people safe because they want to stay in power. Right. Well, I, I suppose you could argue the same is true of France. So, uh, yeah. OK, Mark, I like that. I like that a lot. Thank you very much, Jeff in Denver. Hey, Jeff, your thoughts. Hey, directly and indirectly, directly, the parents, especially if they have medical training, that's abhorrent. That means that they willfully overlooked science and... Or they believed sophisticated BS on Facebook. Oh, it is shocking. They know better. So I lay the, the direct feed right there, but I would put forward that this is tied to Reagan, right wing media, corporate media, that they have enhanced the notion of anti-intellectualism for, you know, since so the 80s. For whatever yeah. reason, it became acceptable to be, you know, I know better than you because I have common sense and, you know, because you're an expert, that doesn't make you better or right than me. And I always reference back to the book that Susan Jacoby wrote that is The Age of American Unreason. I'm not trying to plug her, but I just thought that she synopsis really well about this mentality of dumbing ourselves down willfully uh, has done. Yeah, I am with you, completely with you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Monty in Logan Martin, Alabama. Hey, Monty. Hey, Tom. Uh, I was wanting to call to tell you what I think that they're all to blame. Everybody you see it, but I know what they will say about it. The parents and the preacher, they will say it was God's will. Oh, my God. You're right. That's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I grew up around these people down here. I know how they think. And yeah. that's what they're going to say. Yeah. Uh, and that's, so it's the anti-science. I mean, it's the, I, I it's, have, you know, religion. Go ahead. 
I have a uh, I have a 23 year old granddaughter, and they're going to church and they're not supposed to. And, and I said, why are y'all doing this? And she said, I said, what if you catch the COVID-19? She said, well, you know, it's God's will. What if you bring it home and I catch it and die? That's God's and will. she said, well, that yeah. would be God's will. Oh, man. Bonnie, thank you for sharing that. Bob in uh, Paw Paw, Illinois. Bob, we got about 40 seconds. You got the last, last word on this? Hi, Tom. I was just wanted to talk about the growing anti-science attitude in fundamentalist mm-hmm. churches. It used to be like the Jehovah's Witnesses. You you didn't you couldn't do blood transfusions and Christian Science. So right. the, it, the outer groups had these weird things, but mainstream churches wouldn't think of getting their kids vaccinated. And one thing is homeschooling is a big a big deal in fundamental churches these days. I recently attended right. um, a fundamental church here, and uh, homeschooling was a big deal. And these materials, these anti-evolution materials, and it just mm-hmm. blows the whole. Oh, they're teaching children to distrust science. Yeah, absolutely. Bob, thank you. Thank you very much for that. We've got a whole spectrum of things and people that conspired to cause Carson Lee Davis's death. And I think they're all spot on. You're listening to Tom Hartman. And, of course, the top of the news right now is that Two big Supreme Court decisions today. One is about Trump's tax returns. And Trump's tax returns, you know, they're they're basically saying, no, I'm sorry, you don't have, you know, absolute immunity, period. That's it. You don't have it. It ain't going to happen. I suppose that's the good news. I mean, basically, uh, with the exceptions of Sam Alito and Clarence Thomas, who are just naked not just Republican partisans. These guys are naked apologists for oligarchy and tyranny, frankly. You know, I think they would be very happy if Donald Trump pulled a full Mussolini. And, you know, this has been their position on pretty much every single argument all along. Uh, you know, go along with what the right-wing billionaires tell you to do. That's Clarence Thomas and, and Sam Alito, who's taken Scalia's place in that regard. But the other seven members of the court said, no, the president's not above the law. Sorry. There were two, two lawsuits here, two cases. The first was that Cy Vance, Cyrus Vance, the prosecutor, you know, the Manhattan prosecutor, Manhattan district attorney, wanted eight years of Donald Trump's tax records, both corporate and personal, to present to a grand jury because he's alleging that by paying off Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, he violated New York state campaign finance laws and thus can go to prison. And, of course, Trump doesn't want anybody to see his taxes because he's scared to death that we're going to find out, number one, he's a criminal. Number two, he's been running a long con, a grifter. Number three, he's a tax cheat. I mean, the New York Times won a Pulitzer Prize for revealing that in 2018. Turns out they did it based on documents provided by Mary Trump. And number four, which probably should be number one, that he's nowhere near as rich as he claims he is. Oh, and number five, that he got most of his money laundering money for, you know, foreign oligarchs, Russian oligarchs, Ukrainian oligarchs, Israeli oligarchs, Saudi oligarchs. God only knows. But that's how this guy got rich. There's uh, a couple of quotes from this decision that are worth noting. This is within the decision, Chief Justice Roberts. 
He said in our judicial system, quote, the public right has a, the public has a right to every man's evidence, end quote. That's from a previous Supreme Court decision. Since the earliest days of the Republic, every man has included the president of the United States. Beginning with Jefferson and carrying on through Clinton, presidents have uniformly testified or produced documents in criminal proceedings when called upon by the federal courts. This case involves, so far as we and parties can tell, the first state criminal subpoena directed to a president. President contends that the subpoena is unenforceable. We granted cert to decide whether Article 2 and the Supremacy Clause categorically preclude or require a heightened standard for the issuance of a state criminal subpoena for a sitting president. They said, yeah, there's some other considerations, but he's not above the law. And the other considerations part means that they basically kicked it back down to the lower courts. So the question is, how rapidly can the lower courts act? The very end of the decision, Roberts wrote, when Congress seeks information, quote, needed for intelligent legislative action, end quote, this is from their pleadings, the argument that Congress was making, it, quote, unquestionably remains the duty of all citizens to cooperate. Now, that is a quote from a Supreme Court decision, Watkins, it was the case. Congressional subpoenas for information from the president, however, implicate special concerns regarding the separation of powers. The judgments of the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit and Second Circuit are vacated. In other words, they struck down these two courts who said, yeah, Trump has to hand over his tax returns. But then, and then in the last part of the sentence, and the cases are remanded for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. In other words, reconsider this, hear the arguments all over again, and come to a conclusion that includes basically what we're saying here. So that's like the big news, as it were. Oh, and the Oklahoma case. Nearly half of Oklahoma, this is a five to four decision, and the swing vote wasn't John Roberts, it was Neil Gorsuch, who's from Colorado, and has in the past ruled in favor of Native Americans. Living in Colorado, he's more sensitized and sensitive to Native American issues. And uh, they ruled, and we have a regular guest who is a lawyer and is a Native American who is all over these kinds of issues. I really want to drill down into this, but the uh, news stories that I have uh, don't give me enough information to really be able to tell you exactly what this is going to mean. But the, uh, the Creek people, the Muscogee Nation, uh, apparently it just got a lot more power. We'll see. We'll see where this goes. I've got a couple of questions for you. These far-right patriot groups, over the 4th of July weekend, just you know, last weekend, there were two cases where a really large number of these you know, right-wing militia guys with their guns and their swastikas and their Confederate flags and all this kind of stuff showed up well-armed, ready for battle, twice. Once was in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. This was a, a Civil War historical site. And the other was in Seattle. And in both cases, and in Gettysburg, it was like hundreds of these guys showed up. In Seattle, it was a relatively small group. But in both cases, what they were responding to were fake calls to action on Facebook. In both cases, somebody had posted on Facebook the story that black people were going to show up in Gettysburg and in Seattle and basically, you know, burn flags, American flags. I mean, this was, this was basically, it was called a, the bur- flag burning event in Gettysburg. The post that got these guys mobilized was headlined, 
Antifa is coming to take our country back from right-wing lunacy. Right. And this ex-radio host, Hal Turner, he got, he jumped in on this thing. He claimed the 4th of July flag burning was occurring, quote, just before they begin murdering white people and burning down suburbs the same day. In other words, these guys thought this was the beginning of the race war, the civil war. He goes on to say, this guy, he's got a huge following on, on social media. Yes, this is the great purge. The evidence is all there. The objective is clear. It makes no difference as to what ideology a white person has. As long as you are white, you must be erased. This is their sick agenda. Now, of course, none of that is true, but these guys showed up. So my question, is this a dry run? I mean, is somebody just punking these guys or is somebody doing, you know, testing, testing? Let's find out what happens if Donald Trump loses the election and claims that it was stolen from him and that Antifa and black people did it. And like he said in 2016, black people are in buses from Boston going up to New Hampshire. He said that's why he lost the New Hampshire primary. Is this a dress rehearsal? This is the Tom Hartman program. And if so, what does it say? I mean, you know, it wasn't that large a group in Seattle, but it was in Gettysburg. What the hell is going on here? Coming up on The Science Revolution, I'm asking, will the new definitions of first world and third world be those countries that have the virus under control and those countries that don't? Connor Gibson with Greenpeace USA is here about three states making protesting fossil fuel pipelines a felony. Is protesting becoming illegal now? Robert Weissman with Public Citizen drops by. He's concerned about Trump's land management pick. The guy's a climate-denying extremist. I'm concerned, too. Kevin Camps from Beyond Nuclear is telling us about even more nuclear waste that they want to bury under New Mexico's desert. Plus, geeky science. Does sitting cause cancer? Tune into The Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. Okay, so there is that, right? There is the Supreme Court thing. And frankly, I just to summarize, the bottom line is there's a pretty good chance that between now and the election, nobody is going to see Donald Trump's tax returns. There's also a, I think, probably 30, 40, 50% chance that between now and the election, at least the New York grand jury, Cyrus Vance's grand jury, will see his tax returns. But those, I mean, you know, the grand jury on, on the Russia investigation, the, the Mueller investigation, that testimony is still secret. Bill Barr has, has been holding it close to his vest. He's been keeping a secret. Uh, little tiny bits of it have been pried out, but by and large, it's still secret because it's grand jury stuff. So, you know, I don't think, frankly, that we're going to see Trump's tax returns in any meaningful way before the election. It's possible, but I think it's unlikely. You know, so number one, do you think that there is enough of a critical mass of crazed white people ready to go to Trump's defense that this actually represents a threat of a second civil war kind of event? And number two, I want to talk about our schools. I think this is going to be the the official end of the Trump presidency. I mean, or unofficial, but I mean, this is, this is going to be the big thing. And, and here's why. On his first day, his first full day in office, January 21st, maybe it was the 22nd, maybe his second full day, but and one of his first two days in office, 
He signed an executive order to gut the implementation of the Waters of America Act. What it did was it let coal mines and factories start just randomly dumping, well not randomly, but start to, to just start dumping their poisons, the coal slurry, the toxic waste, into our rivers and into our waterways. Now, in my opinion, he got away with that because he only poisoned the people downstream in those waterways. And so, you know, only a few million people had their children neurologically damaged by mercury, and a lot of that neurological damage won't show up for years. It's only going to produce a couple hundred thousand cases of cancer, and a lot of those aren't going to show up for decades. So, you know, it was scattershot, right? If there wasn't a massive national constituency of people going, oh my God, he just poisoned our water. Most Americans get their water from aquifers or from things other than river water. So Trump allowing factories to poison river water, well, it was a big deal for people who live around, you know, like the Mississippi and the Columbia. But, you know, like I said, most Americans are getting their water out of uh, aquifers and things like that. But now he's trying to force every school in America to open in the next few weeks. I mean, you know, some schools are opening in August. Probably the majority of them open either in the last week of August or the first week or two of uh, September. So that's what, you know, eight weeks, seven weeks, six weeks in some cases or less down the road. And in this case, he's threatening to poison. And I put that in quotes because, he's you know, he's threatening to poison them with COVID-19. But, you know, instead of threatening to just poison the people who live downstream from the rivers, which has been going on now for three and a half years because of Trump's executive order, he's threatening to poison every school in America. And every school child and every teacher and every janitor and every school resource officer and every counselor. I mean, he got away with closing or weakening over a hundred different federal agencies that protect people from being poisoned, that protect people from being defrauded. He's even gutted the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau or that protect people from being just generally harmed by corporate bad actors and grifters. But each one of those agencies only protected a small slice of America, small constituency. So there was never this loud enough response to his policies, you know, like people who, who value public lands or people who use national parks or, I mean, you know, fill in the blanks, right? The things that the people who cared about bears ears, you know, it was a small number of people. Even his decision to do nothing about Russia paying bounties to kill American soldiers. And by the way, Tammy Duckworth is the only member of Congress who's continuing to pound this. And have you noticed over the last couple of days, the only member of Congress Trump is trashing is Tammy Duckworth. But even his decision to say, oh, hey, no problem if foreign governments want to pay to kill, you know, bounties to kill American soldiers, that really only affected military families, which is only about 5% of America. But for the first time, this, this policy is going to hit almost everybody. Tens of millions, maybe a hundred million Americans will all realize at the same time that Trump's incompetence and frankly his malice could lead to their own illness and maybe even their own death. Which raises the question, is this going to be Trump's Waterloo? Will this cripple the ability of Republican elected officials, state, federal, House, Senate, to get reelected? How badly is this going to hurt the Republican Party? Or is there some bizarre universe in which Trump doing this, opening the schools, 
forcing them open will actually help Donald Trump. Could this be the thing that triggers the civil war that the Boogaloo Boys and the Three Percenters are rehearsing? You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Tom Hartman here. Just wanted to give you a heads up that Sue, who works on our newsletter, has just been doing an extraordinary job. We have an absolutely free newsletter. You can subscribe to it over at TomHartman.com. And every day she puts together what we call Sue's Daily Stack. It's literally a link to every story I have referenced on the air in the program. So just check it out at TomHartman.com. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.